Red Rocks Church, how are you guys? Good, it is so good to see you. I can't even tell you how good it is to see you. You can take a seat. Um, on behalf of myself and the entire staff, we are so grateful to be back at it. So grateful to see every face here and digitally, every face watching Church Online right now. My name is Doug Weckenman, and if I haven't met you, I am uh, one of the leaders of this community and I've heard a time or two people say to me son you don't look like a pastor and honestly all I can really say back is sir ma'am you have no idea okay we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God and whether you're in the room right now or listening at a later time in your car or watching at home on TV in your living room welcome home this is your family we're gonna have some family talk today I want to get really really crystal clear on who we are and where we are going as Red Rocks Austin because I believe I really do that the future is bright and while the trip will not be easy I know there are endless possibilities and just infinite hope right now, right in front of you, calling and beckoning our community forward if we want it. I believe with all my heart, God has been doing a work in us because he's about to do a work through us. And that's not just a fancy preaching phrase to throw out there that sounds good. I really, I really believe that. We're not waiting on a move of God. We have our move of God and this is it, amen? So today we are gonna ask and answer this question right here. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? So let's pray, God. Holy Spirit, I know you're already here because I know you're everywhere. But I just get the sense you enjoy being invited. And so like we do every time we gather, we invite you to have your way. Jesus, for your name to be made famous. Father, for you to be glorified in and through everything that we do. Would you resurrect dreams of the people in this family? Would you give fresh vision? I believe there is a horizon calling and daring us forward. So would you paint it with detail today? We love you so much. Speak through me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I got, to, I got new tires a few days ago in a Labor Day sale. Thank you. And in case you care, I got a great deal. Heck, I got a steal. Almost feel bad how good of a deal I got. And because I'm the kind of pastor who cares not only about your soul, but also for your safety, just know with proper vehicle and tire maintenance, you can expect to get about 50 to 70,000 miles out of any given set of tires. So maybe just ask yourself today, am I due? Am I due? That's for free, okay? I was due last week. And so what I did, I went straight into Discount Tire. They're our sponsors for this weekend. And I talked to the Discount Tire, the Discount Tire sales representative, and he took one look, this is a true story, took one look at my old tires and said, son, your tires are balder than Ed Long. Got him. Oh, Ed, I love you, man. You should have been here. You could have stopped this. It's okay, I know him. He didn't really say that, but he did look at my tires and go, bro, these are some of the worst tires I have ever seen in my entire, like you just drove here in the rain? Are you crazy? What were you thinking? But church, I was not offended. 
Don't worry. I, I took it as a personal accomplishment. All I heard is that I have the best worst tires. Excuse me, Mr. Discount Tire Snarky Sales Associate, but this ain't my first rodeo with bad tires, okay? The following story is a true story. It really is. Years ago, 2011 to be precise, I found myself driving a 1994 15 passenger church van full of college students on the way home from a mission trip during a blizzard. Oh, it keeps going on a narrow Rocky Mountain road at night with tires. We later found out this is not a joke. We're 14 years old. 14 years. 14 years old, okay? So just picture, picture this scenario. I'm driving, it's getting dark, the snow's coming down, everybody's freaking out. I got no traction at all going downhill on solid ice. This is just poorly managed chaos is all it is. Like, I'm, I'm serious. I am, I am bumping into this guardrail and then bumping into that guardrail, nudging that snowbank back into that guard, like a little kid bowling with bumpers, just boom, boom, back and forth. I'm not making this up. Ethan and Sam were both there. They can vouch for this. Ethan co-led this mission trip with me, and this whole time he is sitting on the center console right next to me, but he's facing backwards. He's facing the 15 frightened passengers, and he is telling them stories, making an effort to distract them from what was happening around them. And I have a vivid memory of him leaning back, looking at me and saying, hey, Doug, are you, are you, are you breaking right now? And I looked back and said, bro, I have been flooring the brake pedal for the last five minutes, okay? Just so there's no confusion, I am not in control of this vehicle right now. It is so icy. These tires are so bad. I have absolutely zero traction. Please, for the love of God, keep telling stories, but also pray, right? I gave my life to Jesus for the second time just to be absolutely sure, right? Like I was like, God, if you please just get us to the next hotel, just a few exits down the road, please just get us there. And I swear I will stop cussing. I promise God I will plant a church one day. And that's how we're here. I'm a man of my word, right? Oh, God, just get us to where we're going, please. So where do we go from here? It's a great question. We're going to answer that at the ending of this message. But first, we have to ask and answer another question. And here is that other question. What do we need to get there? What do we need in order to get there? And all of you Enneagram One type A note takers are about to love me right now because I got three answers for you, each of them complete with a Bible verse, okay? So this sermon is dedicated to you and brought to you by Discount Tire. Okay, so here we go. What do we need to get there? Number one, here it is. The road is narrow, so we need some Wow, traction. The road, I drank a LaCroix right before I came up here. The road is narrow, imperfect people, guys. So we need some traction. You can trust me on this. When the road is narrow, icy, and dark, you need traction. Jesus said this in Matthew 7 14 Small is the gate, and narrow is the road. 
that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, this verse used to haunt me and sometimes still does. But let me, let me unpack it really quick for you. A small gate does not refer to God grading your life as a, on a curve. So maybe or maybe not you'll get in. A small gate refers to Jesus being the only way to him. So if the gate is small and Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, well then for as long as Red Rocks Austin has a pulse and has a heartbeat, our doors will unapologetically swing as wide as possible, right? From the beggar to the king, from the famous to the faceless, everybody needs Jesus. And that's why you will always belong here even before you believe what we believe. God gave his one and only son for whoever left the 99 for the one, right? God wants all his kids saved. He wants his house full. And so, yes, the gate might be narrow, but guys, we can still get all of Austin into one really long single file line. Amen? Okay. Uh, you, can sh you can shout amen. It's okay. Don't be scared. Um, but let's not talk about heaven's gate. Let's talk about the narrow road we are currently driving on. Because it is narrow, according to Jesus. But hear me, it actually doesn't matter how narrow the road is if you have traction. Traction keeps you on track, right? So what is our church's traction? Well, simply put, our church's traction is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our brand new tires. And so, like, follow me. The world is stormy, and issues right now are icy. And we will be a church that serves, reaches, and changes culture by fearlessly heading straight for the middle of it. But, but with this caveat right here, we will never slide with the very noble but misled temptation of becoming a culture war church. Hydroplaning church vans actually can't help anybody. And you can trust me on that. And just in case you're not hearing exactly what I'm saying, I'm gonna make it crystal clear because this is so important. A gospel traction church starts and stays centered on Jesus. Culture war Christianity starts centered on Jesus but almost always eventually allows an issue to hydroplane it until the gospel is just part of an agenda rather than the actual point. Gospel traction churches know that no matter how dark and stormy the world gets, that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, on this rock, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against it. Culture war Christianity, however, always sees itself under attack, either by the government or secularism or another religion. Gospel traction churches play with house money. They have everything to give and nothing to lose. 
Culture war Christianity is actually fueled by the fear of losing something. It requires an enemy for sustainability. And ironically, that enemy is usually people before the devil. Culture war Christians demand to be heard. But gospel traction Christians have all the validation they need. I heard Andy Stanley say it this way. Culture war Christianity is in it to win it. But gospel traction churches are seeing and thinking bigger and are playing an entirely different game altogether. Jesus played the world's game to lose the world's game. And that's why the church of Jesus Christ looks most like Jesus Christ when we are fighting for the rights of others even before our own. And when we are giving away before we are demanding our way. Man, if you could like somehow wring out your Bible, this, this paradoxical kingdom is what would drip out of it. That Jesus actually came to this earth to become wrong. Now let me explain that. What do I mean by that? Well, sin is wrong. The Bible says all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 would say, but he who knew no sin actually became sin. In other words, he who never did anything wrong actually became wrong so that we could be right. God, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, made himself nothing, took on the very nature of a servant. Church, the highest became the lowest, and he played to lose so that we could win. He became wrong with God so that you and me could be right with God. And just to make sure this is crystal clear, he played the world's game and lost it on purpose. And if that's frustrating for you at all, please know it's frustrating for me too. It is not very American. It is so against the grain of human nature. But now at least we can empathize with the disciples a little bit more because they were so frustrated at Jesus for walking back into Jerusalem to be falsely tried and crucified instead of overthrowing Rome. Like, can I, can I be blunt? Who gets falsely tried and crucified? Losers. Unless Jesus was playing a different game altogether. Because Rome was playing world, the world's game to win, and they flexed their power by crucifying people. Jesus played the game to lose and relinquished all his power by being crucified. Fast forward 2,000 years, and Jesus' kingdom is a global, blazing wildfire that cannot be stopped, and Rome is a tourist attraction for his followers. Gospel traction churches play the kingdom game, and they find themselves heading straight smack dab into the middle of the world, but with a different set of rules and a different touchdown altogether. Oh, following Jesus might just get you into some good trouble in the world. I see that right now on the news when I, I see these revival worship nights in cities all over our country being protested and shut down. Good trouble. His narrow road, his gospel traction should take us straight into all the arenas everybody else is running out of with the one thing that has only ever eternally changed anything or any person, 
Jesus. He is our traction. And all of us constantly need new tires. And that's why all we do in this place is just talk about Jesus. That's why every series we do is just another creative way to talk about Jesus and ask and answer the question, what would he do if he were us? That's why we just spent the last 60 days in Re60 reading all four biographies of the life of Jesus. That's why next week we're beginning a new series called Explicit Jesus. Any guesses what it's about? Jesus, right? Like it should be painfully obvious what this church is all about. Jesus, 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 because the road is narrow and we need all the traction we can get. Amen? That's number one. The road is narrow, so we need traction. Number two, the trip is long, but we are in this together. So that, uh, that Rocky Mountain Church van of death story I just told you is actually the tail end of a much longer journey, okay? So let me fill you in on all the deets that happened up to that point. So the mission trip was to Belize in Central America. I co-led it with Ethan. There were 24 of us on that trip. When the trip was over, we left the Belize airport and flew to Miami for a layover. But we, we, we landed, and then we were stranded on the runway because of a literal like fuel fire on the tarmac, okay? And that took an extra two hours. We finally taxied into the gate and like, well, it was like a scene out of Home Alone. It was run, run Rudolph through the airport to get our bags and recheck them from international to domestic. And we run up to the gate and I'm not gonna say the name of the airline, American, but like Kevin McAllister himself, we are 10 seconds from that gate that they were holding for us because this was not our fault. And they shut it in our faces as we run up to the gate and we have to stand there as the last flight to Denver for the next four days pulls out and taxis to the runway and takes off. And there's 24 of us. And it just so happens that the very next day there is a flight to Vail with 24 empty seats. Thank you, God. And so we book all of those and we sweet talk the American Airlines lady who is actually very kind and she gives us vouchers and a few hotel rooms and we get a few hours of sleep that night and then come back to the Miami airport the next morning, hop on our flight and we fly to Vail. But before we can land, we have to circle the runway for 90 extra minutes because Joe Biden and Air Force One are in Vail about to take off and that, that is not a plug. He was just the guy who happened to be in Vail in March of 2011, okay? I'm just, I'm telling you the story. That's all I'm doing, okay? So he finally, he took off. We finally land in Vail. Of course, our bags are not there. We don't care. We care about nothing, like, at this point. Our friends drive all the way from our church in Boulder to Vail with two 15-passenger church vans. I hop in one of them. We load everybody in. It starts snowing. We hit the highway. You know what happens from this point on. It should have just been a three-hour drive, and one day, and a, like a day and a half later, all 24 of us and one of the two church fans arrive safely back to Boulder. And this is one of the most ridiculous and memorable journeys home I have ever had in my entire life. And what's my point? The trip might be long, but we are in this together. So with that said, let's read John 17. This is Jesus in his final prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. 
that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. How many times can he reference unity as we are one? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. He says this, I love this phrase, then the world will know. So don't miss this. He's saying the world will know Jesus by the unity of his church. That's crazy to me. The world will know Jesus by the unity of his church. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The final thing Jesus prays for is his church. Catch that. Not the world. God gave his son for the world. God loves the world. But Jesus, in his final prayer, prays for the church. Why? Because he knows the hope of any community is found in the believers of that community. The world will know Jesus by the unity of his church. The trip might be long, but we are in this together. It's almost like, it's almost like Jesus knew. I don't have to pray for the hearers of the gospel. I need to pray for the storytellers of the gospel. I don't have to pray for buildings and events. I need to pray for those who will remain the church one day when buildings are closed and events are canceled. And if I can uh, uh, just have just a couple moments of unscripted just vulnerability. I got, I got saved in 2008. And in 12 years, man, I've heard so many Christians say, the church is not a place. The church is a, a people. But man, I, I just feel like six months ago when the place got taken away from every church in our country that so many of us were just like, where did the church go? Because the place got taken all of a sudden, that was the church? Wait a second. And here, I, I, I get it. Like the gathering is my favorite aspect of church by far. And it is important. Hebrews chapter 10. Do not neglect meeting with each other, especially as the days get darker. But if the church was a place and our mission was just to gather people in a building, you guys, we would have never shut these doors. But that's not the church. The church is a people following Jesus on mission to get more people to follow Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ, the goers and the sharers of the gospel. After all, Jesus didn't say, get everybody to come to you so you can give them hope. He said, go give them hope in the world. Go bring it to them. That's the church, the most unstoppable force in the universe. I'm not sure what you thought you walked into today or what you think you're watching on your TV screen, but this is not an event. This is not a video. This is a gathering for the sake of scattering, the deliverers of hope, God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. 
his plan A for the world. And that's why Jesus prayed for unity. Then the world will know from the unity of his church. That word unity is pretty and polished on the surface. But we, we have to all agree that word has the messiest, grittiest implications to it. Because for us to have unity, you know what that takes? It requires your ability to forgive and your ability to bear with each other. Our unity requires your ability to see the best in people you disagree with and then choose to actually live like you believe that's true about them, right? Our unity requires my thick skin and my soft heart. It requires us to change the whole connotation of confrontation. And rather than flee from, flee from conflict because we see it as an obstacle, it requires us to engage in conflict and see it as an opportunity to bring us closer together. It requires remaining and cultivating. I mean, you can't even spell the word community without unity. Guys, the devil's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a united church. A kingdom rallied around a king who cancels all sin, but not a single sinner. The world will know Jesus by the unity of his church. That's why division is the devil's dream. Do not let him have it. And I'm not saying that we just agree on everything and hold hands and sing kumbaya. What is that? That's creepy. But like really, it is though. It's like, ugh. It's just inauthentic and fake and creepy. But I am saying different perspectives are actually powerful when unity is present. Not just within a church, but between churches. Not just within a denomination, but between denominations between pastors and leaders and posters and bloggers and authors who disagree on second, third, fourth, and fifth tier issues, right? I think of Ethan telling stories to all the frightened passengers in that church van who had every different possible perspective imaginable. We had a few who were terrified. We had a, a couple girls in the second row who were crying, it was so scary. We had a couple guys in the back row who weren't taking it seriously. Imagine that. We had one or two guys who were like bold and daring trying to rally everybody. Come on, guys, it's been a long trip. Let's just, let's just get home. We can do this. We had about five or six people who were like, no, let's, let's be smart. Let's just stop at the nearest hotel. We'll try again tomorrow. We had one person who was like, please pull this van over. I'll call my dad. He'll get a helicopter to come pick us up. Like we had... <laughs> Unity, when unity is present, different perspectives are actually powerful. And I'm not a prophet and I'm not Martin Luther or anything like that, but I see so clearly that the church in the United States is ripe and ready to be methodically rethought, rebuilt, and reformed. And I believe unity 
has to be the main ingredient. Why? Because then the world will know by the unity of his church. The trip is long, but you guys, we are in this together. Amen? Amen. All right. Number three, my concluding point. 70% of your audience reengages upon the use of the word conclusion. I shall conclude right here with this point. This is my conclusion. Point number three. The valley is dark. Somebody say, ooh. The valley is dark, but we have a guide. Psalm 23, 3 and 4. If you grew up in church, you have a coffee mug with this on it. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He guides me along the narrow road for his glory. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So can we just be honest? The narrow road of Christianity is not an easy one. Anybody who sold you that idea was lying to you. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. And if you disagree with that, you're seven. Or you've only been a Christian for 30 minutes. But the roads will be icy at times. And blizzards will come. And there will be times where it feels like Jesus, your guide, is fast asleep in your boat during a storm. In fact, that same Jesus, he guarantees you. He says, in this world, church, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart because you have a guide who knows the road. Church, we have a North Star who has overcome the entire world. And every once in a while, I get a phrase that I feel like I'm supposed to say for somebody. That happened to me this morning when I was praying about this message. But it's not for somebody. <laughs> it's for every single person listening to this message. Here it is. God's got you. And that means you got this. I don't know what your this is. But I know God's got you. And that means you've got this. And I'm not promising easier starts tomorrow. But I do know for a fact you are doing better than you think you are. Why? Because God's got you. And that means you've got this. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not fear. Not because there's nothing to be afraid of. But because my guide is with me the entire time. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. You guys, what if Christians were remembered for our peace in 2020? Because we feel and experience everything the world feels and experiences, but our foundation is not the same as theirs. Peter knew that. That's how he could go all the way to the end of his life and be crucified upside down on a cross in 68 A.D., that's how Stephen somehow managed to fix his focus on heaven when the world was stoning him. Guys, the world is shaking right now, and you feel that. But our kingdom is not, and you also feel that. So what if we were known as the calm, cool, collected ones in the middle of the chaos? Because I, I know fear is real. And Jesus never said, don't, don't feel afraid. He said, don't let that fear have you. 
Of course fear is real. But whatever decision you're facing in your life right now, please hear me say this to you. Fear is real, but it has zero right to call the shots in your life. Fear is real, but it has zero right to make your decisions for you. And please hear from my heart to yours, we will do our absolute best for as long as we get to do this and as long as this church, Red Rocks Austin, has a pulse, we will never make any decisions based on fear. We will center on the gospel and only always align ourselves with one man and his upside down, backwards, paradoxical kingdom. Amen? Fear is real, but it deserves no part in the paths you choose in your life. That's for you and God to decide. You and your shepherd, you and your guide, who will be with you the entire time you're in that valley. We moved here two years ago to build this church, and it grew fast, man. Like God has been so good and he has provided and the momentum wave was breaking back in March. Trust me, I'm gonna read a little bit here because I want you to hear my heart. Shutting our doors, not on a church, on a building. Shutting our doors was not the easy decision. Let me be clear, taking a stand doesn't mean doing what you want when somebody else tells you you can't. It means doing what you believe is right even when it's not always easy or even when it's not what you want. Loving our neighbors at a cost to ourselves is the stand that we have taken and thinking about the one out there rather than the 99 is the gap we've decided to stand in and it has cost us. Like trust me, as the, the leader of this community who has dreamed of nothing more than building this church for about a decade now and uh, like whose livelihood kind of depends on its success, there is way more to be afraid of with closed building doors than there is to be afraid of with open doors. If we were fear motivated, we would have never shut them. But we believed until this point, okay, we believed opening them early would have been a loss for our neighbors who don't know God in terms of the message it sent to them and could have potentially been a loss for those moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas with compromised immune systems in terms of what could have possibly happened. And by saying no to us, we have said yes to those around us because it has never been and it will never be about us. And that we believe is the courageous decision because it is not a reaction to the fear of losing something. May we never make a decision out of a reaction to the fear of losing something. And we're proud of it. I'm proud of you for doing what I would call the difficult thing. This is what God has asked our church to do up until this point. And we're not responsible for our fruit. We are responsible for our obedience. And he takes care of the fruit, you guys. This was his idea from the beginning. He's got this for reasons we can't even see or dream about right now. I'm not afraid of the future. 
He's already there calling us and daring us forward. So with that said, where do we go from here? Well, we are still asking the same question we have been asking all along. Not what's best for us, but what's best for them. Not the 99, but the one. And so now, given the current state of a virus and the desperation level of people, that answer has very recently shifted. And when I say, by the way, the state of a virus and the desperation level of people, I'm not making a general statement. I have very specific names in my mind and on my heart. We've sought the wisdom of pastors and leaders like Sean Johnson, Will Davis, Levi Lusco, Andy Stanley, doctors and nurses from our church, we've done our due diligence and prayed through these decisions behind closed doors. And it is now time, we believe with all our hearts to start gathering again. And right now we're gathering on Saturday evenings, just like this, to record for Sunday's Church Online, which we will always have, Church Online. And we will make moves based on you guys coming. We got plenty of room in here. We can add all the services we need to and hopefully to Sunday soon. Right now we are asking that you wear masks for the sake of those in our 15 passenger church van who are nervous about a virus, but desperate to be around people. One day that won't be the rule, now it is. Red Rocks Austin, a new season is upon us. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that our foundation is now stronger than it was six months ago. I believe that God's been doing a work in us because he is about to do a work like we've never seen through us. We've got our move of God. This is it right here. And so where do we go from here? Guys, the answer is pretty much anywhere we want. Why? Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And so let me leave you just with three practical things I think all of us need to start doing before we stand in worship. Number one, attend either a Saturday night recording or, or develop a new Sunday morning routine in your home. I know how fast old routines stop working. I know what it's like to try to do church online in your living room with kids and a dog. It is nearly impossible. And so I'm saying, I'm challenging you to make an event out of it. Roommates, be the pastor of your apartment. Moms and dads, be the pastors of your home. Let your kids know this is not an option. This is who we are and this is what we do on Sunday mornings and make it fun for them. Use donuts if you have to. It works for us here. Develop a new Sunday morning routine until you start coming back to church in our building. Number two, get in a group. Like Ryan said, this is so easy. They all go live next Sunday. We've got online groups. We've got outdoor distance groups. We've got home groups. We've even got rock climbing groups. Community is more important now than it's ever been, church. Get yourself in a group. And number three, pray for your church every single day. Please pray for your church. One of the many things it does is reminds us what we can do rather than focusing on what we can't. 
develop a new Sunday morning routine, get in a group and pray for your church. Red Rocks Church, the road is narrow, but the gospel will be our traction. It's gotten us here and it will get us there. The trip might be long, but we will be in this together. After all, the world will know Jesus by the unity of his church. And I promised you, for you, good days are coming, good seasons are coming, but Christian, listen to me. Valleys will always come. Icy roads will always be there. Blizzards will always come. Jesus guaranteed, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because our King, our Messiah, our friend, our guide, our North Star has overcome the entire world. Somebody in our church told me recently in a way that I believe is prophetic that Satan and the kingdom of hell is shaking and trembling right now at the very thought of what God could do through the faith of the people in our church. I believe that with all of my heart, we are the goers and the sharers of the gospel. We are the storytellers of Jesus. We deliver hope to the world. That's who we are and that is who we will be. No battle formed against us shall prosper. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. The battle belongs to the Lord and viruses may come, but they will not have the final word, which means we will see a victory, church. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And he really has not been surprised by anything that has come our way or your way in 2020. The future is in his hands. He is calling us and daring us forward. And so I challenge you to go to him and ask him right now, God, what is it you're calling me to do? What are the prayers you're asking me to pray? What are the steps you're asking me to take right now? And then I pray in the name of Jesus that you would have the humility and the boldness and the courage to move forward with those prayers because I'm telling you, your God knows how to do absolutely everything but fail and you will see a victory, amen?